0: All right. well all this summer we're going through the book of Acts in this series. We're calling Roots as we're taking a look at the early church through the stories and the life of people who set out to spread the message of Christ in such a way that the world would know. This book of Acts tells the first 30 years of the church and how people gave their time and gave their lives to spread the gospel of Jesus Christ. And when we look into that story, We can see a lot of things that apply to us today. So we're looking at this story through two lenses. One is what was the original context? What did it mean originally to the people who would have experienced it or heard it? And then number two, what does it mean for us today? And we're up to the point in this story where people are starting to get serious about spreading the message of Christ. Up until now, what has happened? The disciples gathered together and the Holy Spirit came upon them in a special way that allowed them to speak the message of Christ so everybody who could hear them stopped and listened. And while that was going on, one of Jesus' disciples named Peter stood up and said, this is what Jesus wanted you to know. And he uses Old Testament scripture and prophecy to reveal to people what they needed to hear. And it ends with something they would have all been familiar with. And he says, and everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And because of that, he tells them more about the message of Christ and how they can have Christ in their life. He tells them how to respond, and about 3,000 people accept the message of Jesus Christ. And then immediately, Jesus' disciples go out into the world to continue spreading this message. And what happens next in the book of Acts after chapter 2 is you start to read episodes of people trying to spread the message and yet getting some opposition. Today's the first time in the story where we're going to talk about how there was some opposition to this message of Jesus Christ. Maybe like there's some opposition today to the whole thing called Christianity. But they began to experience that because two of Jesus' apostles or disciples went into the temple, the Jewish temple, and they saw a guy there who had been crippled from birth, and they healed him. Which brings up the legitimate question, are miracles possible today? Because we read about it in Acts, and we're trying to apply this to our life. Does that happen today? The answer is yes, miracles happen today. God has the power to heal. God has, has the power to restore. But when you read about miracles in the New Testament, specifically in the book of Acts, there was always a greater purpose behind the physical thing of a miracle. There was always a deeper spiritual meaning. So miracles happen today, yes. Like this one we read about last week when when Peter and John just told this crippled man to get up and walk. No, miracles like that don't happen because there aren't apostles walking around on earth today. An apostle had to be directly commissioned by Jesus Christ himself. And since Jesus is not physically walking around on earth today, there are no more apostles. And he worked through them in a special way to build the foundation of the church that still exists 2,000 years later. So the scene is they're still in the the temple, and they're still in the courts, and they're, they've just healed this guy, and people are starting to gather around and, and look at this guy jumping around. The Bible says he's jumping around with happiness that he can walk. But the deeper thing is the guy could connect with God in a way he never could before because crippled people were not allowed into the temple. So here's this man who, in an outward physical way, is healed, but spiritually, in their minds, they would have seen this guy can connect with God in ways he never has before. And that's where we start today, with the people there realizing that when when God requires change, God also removes the obstacles in our life. God would never ask us to change without giving us the tools to change, without giving us the knowledge and the way he wants us to change. And that's how the last episode ended, with Peter again telling people, repent, change your mind, change your life. You want to be refreshed? It's going to come through a change of mind and nobody comes to Christ without having to change. In Acts chapter 4, that's where we're going to start today. There's some Bibles coming down the aisles right now. If you don't have a Bible, please raise your hand and take one. We give these out every week at LifePoint because we believe the words in there are true. And you can find out what it means to have a relationship with the one true God through the words in that book. So please take one. It's yours to keep. The book of Acts is in the index in the front. Just turn to that page. Go to chapter 4 and you can read with us. Or all the scriptures are on the screen. You can read there as well. So now these, these two disciples, who are also apostles, are speaking the words of Christ, are beginning to initiate miracles. And now the religious establishment is giving them their first opposition. And it's recorded beginning in chapter 1 of Acts 4. It says, The priests and the captain of the temple guard and the Sadducees came up to Peter and John while they were speaking to the people. They were greatly disturbed because the apostles were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. They seized Peter and John, and because it was evening, they put him in jail till the next day. So the first time they go try to spread the message... They've got this big episode that happens in Jerusalem. 3,000 people come to know Christ, accept the message, and then they go a little bit deeper, right into the religious establishment of the day, and they start doing things in Jesus' name. And the first time they try it, they get jailed for it. I mean, they would have every right to say, "Uh, God, hey, hello, didn't you just see we're trying to do this great thing in your name? Didn't you just see that we went in right into the middle of the religious establishment to say, Jesus is Lord, and by His power, look, at what, look what's going on. And still, they were jailed because the name of Jesus upset the religious leaders of the day. You can't insert the name of Jesus anywhere, into any situation, into your life, and not expect To have to change. That's why Jesus came. So we could really change. Through his word. Through his spirit. And now they've inserted the name of Jesus. Into this miracle. Into the Jewish temple. And the Sadducees it's talking about. This Jewish ruling council. Kind of like a supreme court group of men. They understand that. They understand that when this name Jesus comes up, we all of a sudden get challenged. All of a sudden, they're asking us to do things, and, and they're breaking our religious rules over and over when the name of Jesus comes up. So we're upset. Go get those guys that are preaching his name and throw them in jail till we figure out what to do with this. And this ruling council is confused. How do we handle these people who, with faith, do miraculous things In the name of Christ, because they knew this guy's name keeps coming up. They would have known the name of Jesus. They would have been around. And all of a sudden, they're threatened. They're threatened because they know the name of Jesus brings change. And they're confused. Because he's not the Messiah they were expecting. See, they were expecting this Messiah to come and change their life all in their context. They were expecting him to do something outward and physical in their kingdom, in their worldview. So they had a reason to be scared because they knew this guy didn't do it. They had a lot to lose if they ever accepted the name of Christ. So no wonder they were threatened because if they began to believe and allow this, it would change their way of life as they knew it. Because being the Sadducees, they were responsible for guarding the the, the Old Testament law. They were responsible for guarding the Jewish religion. And although, although they were under Roman rule, the Romans gave them a lot of authority as a Jewish ruling council. And they'd been set up long before the Romans were set up, so they just let them go. So these guys had a lot to lose by accepting or allowing the name of Christ to be spoken because they had already taken a public stand against Jesus. They were, would have been part of the people that said, just let him go. Let the Romans do what they want with him. Just let him be crucified. Some of them may have actually even been in the crowd that yelled, crucify him. So they would already taken a public stand, so they had to continue to take this public stand. And they knew if the way of Jesus caught on, it would mean the end of religion as they knew it because they had a lot of control. They had control of the temple where the miracle took place. And they knew if healing start happening and miracles start happening in the name of Jesus, it's going to mean the end of our religious monopoly. I mean, they had total control. And they knew if Jesus comes and this way gets around, we're not going to have a monopoly on the way to God. That here's all of a sudden somebody else. They also knew that it would end their rule of the Torah. The Torah was the first five books of the Old Testament which they interpreted with even more books and even more laws and even more religious regulations for people to obey. But they had this exclusive right of interpretation and now here are these other people coming in and interpreting God's law in a different way in the way it was originally intended and they're intimidated by it. So no wonder they throw them in jail. And then they were intimidated because they would lose their tradition. Just their way of living. They would also lose their territory. It was, it was now going to be, if Jesus caught on, it would be the end of their divinely defended land rights. Because they thought, we're Jewish so we get this. We're God's chosen people so we get something nobody else gets. And all of a sudden, the words that they would have known Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. It's starting to make sense to them. That these followers of Christ are taking this serious and they are going out and speaking the name of Jesus to the world. And it intimidates these religious leaders. They knew it would end their tribalism, their exclusive identity as God's people. Because their, their religion gave them wealth and power. I mean they were at this temple when people would come to sacrifice they would sell them sacrifices animal sacrifices as a at an inflated rate so they made money and then a lot like now a lot of money gave him a lot of power and they knew that was starting to end so they didn't want this message to spread they would have heard about the teachings of Christ and how when Jesus showed up people had to change when Jesus showed up people just started acting different he wasn't expect he was not what they expected see they would have read their old testament and gotten confused and they would have expected jesus to be this outward messiah this 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 messiah who had this outward kingdom and who set up an earthly kingdom and put them at the top and jesus was not even close to what they wanted or expected and that tells us something about Jesus. It tells us that when Jesus shows up, he's not always what we expect. When I look back at my life, it's a good thing that Jesus wasn't what I expected. What I expected of Christ was irrelevant teaching that if I followed it, I was doomed to a life of boredom, singing songs that didn't make sense, going to old musty buildings that did not relate to anything, reading a book that had no meaning for me today, spoken in a language that was hundreds of years old, thousands of years old, that I didn't even understand. Jesus didn't seem very relevant to me. But He wasn't what I expected. Because when I got to know Him, He already knew me, but when I got to know Him, all of a sudden, a life that was passionless became filled with passion. A life that was directionless started to get direction. A person who lived with confusion was now living with clarity all because Jesus was not what I expected. I thought it was going to be a life of boredom. And the last 20-some years of my life have been nothing but a life of breakneck speed And fun and watching what God does when we just step out and say, Okay, God, no strings attached. Use me in however you see fit. Now, Jesus wasn't what I expected. He was more. And if they would have opened their eyes, they could have experienced the same Christ. But they expected him to be something he wasn't. And they wouldn't open their eyes to the joy of what he could be. And so they were intimidated by it. When Jesus was on earth, every time he turned up the commitment level, people left him. Every time. He would turn up the commitment level, and you see it recorded that people started to leave him. He would say, if you want to be one of my followers, and then whatever he followed that up with, deep in the commitment level, people said, I'm out. It's not for me. I'm not doing it. If you're expecting to really get to know God, to get to know Jesus, but not change things in your life, you're going to be disappointed. You will be frustrated. See, these religious leaders, they were expecting a different Jesus. They were expecting a Jesus that would just come and make them happy and give them everything that they wanted. They wanted an earthly kingdom. They wanted to be set right. They wanted to be set above the Romans and above the whole world with this Messiah that would rule forever in an earthly kingdom with them. That's what they were expecting. That's what would have made them happy. But they didn't realize that happiness is really low on Jesus' priority list for, for them and for you. Jesus is just not that concerned with your happiness. You know why? Because happiness is dependent upon circumstances. It's dependent upon everything on the outside working out just right. Jesus is more concerned with you having joy, you having peace and contentment and faith because those things are not dependent upon externals. Another thing about happiness, it's a moving target, right? Have you ever thought something would make you happy and then it didn't? Anybody besides me? Come on, raise your hand. Let's be honest. We're in church. You know, you, you thought it would make you happy. You were just sure it would make you happy, and it didn't. Happiness is a moving target. So why would Jesus be concerned with us just getting all of our little wants met that we think would make us happy, when in reality, the only thing that's going to bring the full life that we were meant to live is understanding that the connection with Christ is, is, is not just a physical thing. It's a spiritual thing that leads us to joy in spite of our circumstances. It leads us to contentment in spite of our circumstances. And if all we seek after is happiness and getting what we want, like these religious leaders were, they didn't act very happy. They acted scared and intimidated. And like, we got to get rid of this message. We can't let it spread anymore. Because they didn't realize happiness is a moving target. And you need to go deeper to something that doesn't have to do with externals. I mean, I've been there. I've tried to make myself happy. I remember 1992, the year my wife and I got married, was the first time I bought a brand new car. Oh, man. I mean, and I I went, I looked at the 1992 Honda Accord, awesome car, and I was like, I would sit in it and go, "Ah, that smells great, and I would drive it, and in like three days it was like, I'm not really happy because this cost, it was really about the time the payment book came. It was like 300 and some bucks. And I'm thinking, I had a Chevy Cavalier that was nothing. It was free. It was, I was driving it around, and now I thought I would be happy. And I was happier having the 300 bucks in my pocket, and happiness moved on me. And then I know it's the same way in your life. Happiness moves from year to year or from purchase to purchase. And what used to make you happy no longer makes you happy. And when Jesus Christ comes into our life, we realize everything physical that we could buy or experience, it all wears out. I mean, as the birthdays click by, come on, can't you feel it? I mean, things start to fall out and sag and move. And, 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 you know, you look at yourself in the mirror and it's like, where did that come from? And, you know, it's like it wears out. So if you're looking at anything physical to bring you what life is supposed to bring us, you won't find it. These religious leaders were looking for the physical to bring happiness and contentment and purpose to their life. These disciples were saying, no, no, no. It's the name of Jesus Christ that transcends the physical. That gets us to a place where, in spite of our circumstances, we can experience joy. In spite of our circumstances, we can experience contentment. No matter what's going on on the outside, we can have this inner peace that only comes from the Spirit of God. But if we only seek to find happiness externally, we will be disappointed again and again. And here are some religious leaders, some very wise, very smart men that were in positions of leadership. They're not there because they're dummies. But for some reason, they can't get this. They can't make the switch from the physical to the spiritual. And Jesus wasn't what they wanted him to be or expected, so they rejected him and set out to oppose all those who would spread his message. So they take these two people who had just done a wonderful thing through the name of Christ, Peter and John, had just healed this crippled man, and they put him in jail. Because it's evening, they don't have time to go through the, you know, going to the court and seeing everybody, so, so they're put, they put him in jail and they begin to think, what are we going to do with these guys? How is this going to work? I mean, they've done this great thing What are we going to do? Acts chapter 4, verse 4, it says, But many who heard the message believed, and the number of men grew to about 5,000. Opposition only caused the message of Christ to spread. And in their lives, opposition brought clarity. And when they continued to be opposed, they continued to get more focused and more passionate, and more and more people responded. Now, it says the number grew to about 5,000 men. That's just the way they counted then. That, that, that's the word for men, masculine. And they just looked around, and for some reason, they only counted the men. Today, that number would be counted differently. We would count everybody, women and children and men, and the number would have at least been double. So now, the number of people following Christ in a very short period of time grew from 120 to at least 10,000 people. No wonder these religious people started to get worried. The ones that were protecting the religious establishment of the day. No wonder they started to get worried. 10,000 people? That's a lot of people. And in this city where news traveled fast and where it was all word of mouth, and they realized this message of Christ is starting to take off, so let's stamp it out. Let's just stomp it out. And the more they tried, the more it expanded. People reading this, episode or hearing about it people who were trying to spread the message of Christ would have understood that good happens in spite of evil and no matter how bad you think it is God still works no matter what's going on in your life that makes you say why does this have to happen no matter who betrays you no matter how depressed or down or out you might feel good happens in spite of evil and here's the religious establishment putting two men in jail and saying stop doing this they didn't want him to speak in jesus's name anymore and still people said there's something about this name of jesus that's different than anything i've ever heard and the number kept growing and the people who were opposed to it kept getting more and more scared No matter how bad you think things are in your life, good can always exist. No matter what. And you can always connect with God through Christ, even in the face of adversity. Because even when you might look out and say, everything is so bad, there's always the silver lining of the good that God provides through Jesus Christ, no matter who you are. So these two disciples end up in front of the Sanhedrin. They're still standing in front of them, they're eventually standing in front of them, and they start to question them, start to talk to them. And they start to say, by whose name are you doing this? This is verses 5 through 11. I'm not going to read through it, but it's in there. They question him. Whose name are you doing this through? And they already knew, but they ask them, and they say, Jesus Christ. And then these two men, Peter and John, make a statement that will forever be controversial and connected with Jesus Christ. And it's in Acts chapter 4, verse 12, when they say, Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to men by which they must be saved. What they would have heard is, to these religious people, when they said there's no other name, they would have heard, your religion is irrelevant. You're not leading people the way they need to go. The only way people have a hope and a promise of anything after this life is through this person, through this name, Jesus Christ. And that was true then, and it's just as true today, that Jesus Christ is the way to salvation. And that made Jesus and his name controversial. And you speak that name in public today, and it could still stir up controversy, but it's no less true than it was 2,000 years ago. His name only is the way people receive salvation. And the fact that these men stood up boldly and looked at a ruling council that could have said off with their heads or stone them with a word, these two guys could have been dead. And they look at them and say, your religion's not working. Your religion's not, not, it's, it's not worth anything. It's not helping people. You want people to find salvation is through Jesus Christ. And they were pointing at religious leaders who had the power to kill him, and they were still saying it. And those religious leaders just sat back in their chair and thought, Huh? How is this happening? In verse 13, it says, When they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished, and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. See, they would have noticed that here are these men from Galilee. Remember the Galileans we talked about if you were here way back in the second chapter of Acts because they were amazed that these people could speak in these other languages and, and still had their country accent? Well, here are these people, here are religious people again looking at Peter and John saying, How in the world can, can people who are uneducated speak with such eloquence and courage? And they took note, these guys have been with this person named Jesus. And you can just see the wheels turning in the religious leaders and they start to connect the dots and look back and realize these guys have been with Jesus. They've been with Jesus and they're bold. They've been with Jesus and they healed somebody. They've been with Jesus and now 10,000 people are following him. So you can see starting to heat up the controversy and the opposition As these very intelligent men would have started to realize, we might not be able to stop this. These guys have been with Jesus. Uneducated people doing great things. So they would have recognized Jesus has something to do with this. And when people are with Jesus, something changes. Something is different. And ordinary people do extraordinary things. My life was completely ordinary before Christ. And yours probably was too. But ever since he and I met and I finally listened, my life's been nothing but extraordinary because of him. And he does the same thing to every person that says, I believe what he says. He takes the ordinary and turns it into the extraordinary. You think your you think your marriage is ordinary? Insert the Spirit of God through Jesus Christ into your marriage and watch it become extraordinary. You think you have problems relating to other people in relationships? You're just ordinary? Insert the Spirit of God through Jesus Christ into any situation, and that which is ordinary will all of a sudden be extraordinary. And that was confusing these religious leaders. They were thinking, these are ordinary people. How are they speaking with such courage? It's because Jesus Christ was real to them, and it was not based on some external circumstance. It was based on His Spirit living inside of them. So the same Spirit that was in them can be in us if we accept the teachings of Christ. So couldn't we do extraordinary things with our life then? Couldn't we take our relationship and our marriages and our families and our careers and our influence and do extraordinary things with that way beyond what we could do on our own? We can. And the same way those religious leaders were confused, people can look at you and say, he is just not that smart. He just doesn't have that much intelligence to be able to do what he does. People said to me all the time. Where does that come from? It comes from the spirit of of Christ working in the hearts of people and that scared people to death who did not have that spirit. And hopefully in us, it creates a confidence and a boldness that any good and any extraordinary thing that happens in our life can immediately be credited to the Spirit of God living in us. That's what it means to be a follower of Christ. It means you have the Spirit of God literally living inside of you to enable you to do extraordinary things emotionally and spiritually that you could never do without him. In verse 14 it says, this is when they were saying, how how could these men do this? They're just ordinary people, uneducated, illiterate. And it says, but since they could see the man who had been healed standing there with them, there was nothing they could say. So they ordered them to withdraw from the Sanhedrin, and they conferred together. What are we going to do with these men, they asked. Everybody living in Jerusalem knows they've done an outstanding miracle, and we can't deny it. But to stop this thing from spreading any further among the people, we must warn these men to speak no longer in this name. They wouldn't even use the name of Jesus. And they're in their religious quarters, and they're talking about, what are we going to do with this? these people? and And... We could deny it, but we can't because everyone saw it, which means they were considering lying and concealing and covering it up. But everybody saw it, so how could they do that? So they just said, let's tell them not to do it anymore. That ought to fix them. Let's just say, don't talk about it. Have you ever noticed when somebody really believes something with all their heart or has experienced something with everything in them, you can't get them to shut up about it? Try to get newlyweds not to tell you about their honeymoon. Try it. They, they, they can't not talk about it. Try to get a, a new mom or a new dad not to talk about their new child. They can't shut up about it. When, 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 when I got married, when my kids were born, it, it, whether you wanted to hear it or not, you heard what a great experience that had been for me. And so they miscalculated and thought if we just tell these people to shut up, they'll shut up. Listen to their response. Verse 18 says they called them in again and commanded them not to speak or teach. At all in the name of Jesus, Peter and John replied, Judge for yourselves whether it's right in God's sight to obey you rather than God, for we cannot help speaking about what we've seen and heard. People who would have read this and heard this story understood that when you follow Jesus, there are times when you have to boldly take a stand for what is right. When you say, I'm a follower of Christ, there's a time when you boldly say, that's wrong and that's right. And they looked at these religious leaders and they said, you can choose whatever you want. We cannot help but speak about that which we have experienced as if to say, you're not going to shut us up. You can say or do anything you want. There's too many of us. You're not going to shut us up. And with boldness and courage, they spoke the message of Christ. So what am I doing in my life that can be categorized as bold or courageous? If you're a follower of Christ, the boldest thing you can do some days is say, hey, won't you go to church with me? The most bold statement you can make and the most courageous thing you can do is walk up to somebody and even if your palms are sweaty and your mouth is dry, you can say, you've got to come check out this church I go to or come to my small group or this activity or that activity. The boldest thing you can do sometimes is get into a conversation about what Jesus Christ means in your life. And as uncomfortable as that can be and as scary as it can be, He will empower you and allow you to see results that will spur you on to the next time boldness is required. There's just something about when a person follows Christ, he enables them with a boldness that wouldn't exist otherwise. A lot of people cover it up and push it down deep inside. But boldness is how the message of Christ is spread to the next generation. It's not spread by just coming to church on Sunday morning. We're free to do that. We're here today 2,000 years later because a couple of people looked at a bunch of religious leaders and said, we're going to be bold. We're going to to do this. We can't help but speak about it. What in your life is so important that you can't help but speak about it? What story is God going to write in your life because you've been with Jesus? We're reading the stories of these people 2,000 years ago. What story is he writing in your life? And here's a question you need to write down and go through the week asking yourself. What are you doing that you couldn't do if you didn't have Jesus? We need to be able to make a list and say, here are the things I could not do if Christ was not in my life. And be bold about those things. Boldness kept the message of Christ going from generation to generation. And the first generation that decides to stop being bold and standing up for what is right, the church will die. So be bold, be courageous, blow people away, and God will honor it. Let's pray. God, thank you for these words that are spoken to us as if it happened yesterday. And as we continue to go through this teaching, this story that happened 2,000 years ago, Father, continue to teach us and grow us, touch our hearts and convict us. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.